to see tonight one of the greatest missionaries that ever lived, one of the missionaries that's done a fabulous job that actually was responsible for the gospel getting to you and I. You see, had the missionaries not done their job, you and I would not be believers. You and I would not be believers. And it was the Apostle Paul on his second missionary trip that carried the gospel to Europe. It came from Asia to Europe. And that was the first step across a continent. And the Apostle Paul did that in the very first century there. And he writes to the church at Thessalonica. And I'm going to be in 1 Thessalonians, the first chapter. But let me give you a little bit of introduction. On that second missionary trip, as he's coming across what is today's Turkey, he picks up Timothy and uh, as a partner and carries him along with him. And they're going to evangelize that whole area. And they start out in one place and in Acts uh, chapter 16 talks about that the Spirit of Christ wouldn't let them preach the Word there. What? Surprising. And then they head off in a different direction. And the Spirit of God wouldn't allow that. They didn't know what to do. Don't have the roads down to Troas. Let's go down to Troas. Luke was there. And that night, the Macedonian vision came to Paul. Come over into Macedonia and help us. Now, missionaries, you've made plans. And your plans are good. You need to make plans. But you also need to be very open to the leadership of God. Grace. You have a church program and a style and the ways of doing things. Be open to the leading of the living Lord Jesus. This is not an institution. This is an organism under His direction. And God in His sovereignty is free to teach us and to show us and to take us in new directions that we've never been before. Now allow that to happen. Allow that to happen. Be sensitive. Be aware of His leadership. Because Paul went into uh, Macedonia. Now, that's got a lot of history to it. As he went into uh, Philippi, that was named after Philip, who was the father of Alexander the Great, who had conquered the world. He had educated his son in uh, the greatest uh, philosophers of the time. And there's a lot going on there, a lot of tradition and what have you. And here comes Paul, Luke, and Timothy into Philippi. The only person they could find was Lydia, and she was converted. And the church started in her home. And they ministered there for a short period of time. And then on to, they got run out of there, like they get run out of, got run out of most places. And then on to Thessalonica, on the Ignatian Way, this highway that the Romans had built to Rome uh, in that city. And Paul, as he was accustomed to, started out in the synagogues and preached. And there was great controversy there in the synagogues, and things were bad, and, and he ran into difficulty. We really don't know how long Paul got to stay there. The book of Acts only, only mentions a few weeks. Hopefully he got to stay a, a little bit longer and did basic discipleship. 
But I want you to see the results of missionary work and what a missionary church is like. What does a missionary church do? What's it like? Now, look there in 1 Thessalonians. He begins identifying who's writing the letter. Paul and Silvanus, uh, that's Silas, uh, and Timothy. And he mentions each one with that conjunction, and. Now, he's not writing just me. We don't know how much uh, uh, Silas and Timothy wrote of this. Some would say none. We really don't know. Did they have an influence on it? Surely they did. He's including them. He's including them. Under the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father, in the Lord Jesus Christ, grace be unto you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What a wonderful opening. What a wonderful way to address a church. Grace and peace. Hebrew concepts. Grace and peace. Shalom. Shalom Alechem, the Jew would say. Shalom, peace. In the midst of war, in Honduras, on the street that runs behind our house. And I was out of town. I was out in the villages ministering to people. And in the street that runs behind our house, a bomb went off. And I wasn't home. Joyce was there with the kids. Peace. In the midst of difficult times, peace. Who knows the direction of the present politics in Uruguay? Not a very bright situation. Not a very wonderful thing to look at. Scotland's got a long history. And a proud people. Who knows what you may encounter? Peace in the midst of the storm. Why? How can we have peace? Because we know the maker of the universe. Our God gives us peace in the midst of the storm. When life falls apart, peace. Grace. Grace when He gives us things that we don't deserve, like chocolate chips on the mission field. And we didn't deserve that. That was just extras. Some nice, wonderful, warm things. Uh, grace. Grace. God gives us grace when He gives us things we don't deserve. Now, mercy is the other side of that coin. Mercy is when He doesn't give you what you do deserve. <laughs> grace is when He gives you things that you don't deserve. And He gives this, this salutation to this church. Let's read on and say, see what He says. We mentioned prayer. Look at this. We give thanks to God always for you, making mention of you in our prayers. Now, was prayer a vital part of Paul's ministry? Prayer is good missiology. Prayer is good missiology. Now, you need to be in contact with these missionaries about their prayer needs. And you need to pray with them. Prayer. About the needs in the community, right here, Sheraton. We've talked this week about any number of different places where there's needs. 
some of you are school teachers. You know of needs in the school. Others of you are working in different other things. What are the needs there? Should the church pray for those needs? You, sh- you bet they should. You bet they should. Here's the missionaries praying. Now, let me review a little bit of the history here that was going on. Paul, when he did leave Thessalonica, he went to Berea, and then he went down to Athens. And you know uh, the story of him being in Athens, and then went across over to Corinth. And it was probably from Corinth that he writes back to the Thessalonians. Excuse me. He was worried about them, about their well-being. And he writes back to them. And so many times people turn to 1 Thessalonians as a book on uh, last times, eschatology. Well, it's a missionary letter. It's a missionary letter. That's what it is. And you can see how a missionary church, a new church developing, how it should develop. This church was a year, maybe 18 months old. So Paul's praying for them. Sure, he's praying for them. It was a brand new church. And it had really done some marvelous things. So he's praying for them. First thing he does is give thanks. Look at verse 2. He gives thanks. Always making mention of you in our prayers. Remembering without ceasing. Now look at this. Here's, here's a sermon right there in verse 3. Your work of faith. Faith that doesn't work, James says, is dead. Faith works. Faith works. Now, it's not that, that works produce faith, No. But faith produces works. So he gives thanks for their works of faith. Point number one in the sermon. Labor of love. Love is demonstrated by labor. I mentioned cutting your neighbor's lawn, washing his car, uh, painting a schoolroom. A work team from the church goes, paints a schoolroom. Do you love this community? Do you love sinners? Show it. Show it by labor. You don't have money to do it? Go give labor. Any number of things that we can do in this community, overseas, anywhere we are. So Paul is thanking them for their work of faith, for their labor of love, for their patience of hope. The hope that we have in Christ gives us patience. Now, do we need patience as missionaries? You bet we do. You bet we do. Uh, From what little I understand in Uruguay, you need a lot of patience, especially with leadership. Training leadership, not seeing it work out, Investing in other people and finding a different result than we expected. We need patience. Where does patience come from? It comes from the hope that we have. We have placed our lot with the one that's on the winning team. God wins in the end. We're on the winning team. So the 
problems that come to us along the way, we know what the outcome is. We've read the last chapter. We know what the outcome is. And so we can press on in the most difficult of circumstances. We know that victory is ours. We may suffer in the meantime, but we know that victory is ours. And so Paul, in his prayers, says that your work of faith, your labor of love, and the patience of hope, where is it? In our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God our Father. Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. You see, they were elected by God. And I still haven't figured out the uh, balance between God's election and the response of faith. I don't know that... uh, You can't help me, Pastor? God is sovereign. And He knows. But there must come this response of His initiative. The conviction of the Holy Spirit comes upon people. People that don't realize it. I had no idea what God was doing when I was under conviction. All I knew is I needed to do something. And the conviction of God, the wooing of the Holy Spirit. How long does it take the Holy Spirit to woo us until finally there is the response of faith? God had already made the election. But He respects our personal choice. Now that has to do with call. Some of you, and I was thrilled last night to see many of you raise your hand and ask for prayer as you sought God's will for your future and your mission involvement. Some of you may wind up in a few short years overseas. Others of you are going to be active in community affairs. Others will take mission trips. Others are going to do different things. I was thrilled last night. Many of you made a commitment to God. Now, you need to continue and work that out. You need to seek pastor's counsel and advice. He can give you direction on how you flesh that out. What's your next step? Where do you go from here? What's going on here at church? What's going on that we can foster this? How you can fit in? Now, those are things... That will continue to happen. And the uh, way that the Holy Spirit leads each one of us is an amazing thing. And last night, you made an initial faith commitment. Now, that needs to be fleshed out, doesn't it? That needs to go on and develop, and you need to mature that. Knowing, brethren... Of your beloved election of God. So you were elected. And you responded last night. Now do you know the full details? No. Do the shores know what they're going to encounter in Scotland? Nope. But they'll soon find out. And uh, the Duartes are very familiar with many things in Uruguay. But what's going to happen this term? 
That's all new, isn't it? It's all new. And for you as well. How is this going to work out? Trust God. The patience of hope. He will lead you. He takes the initiative in our election. For our gospel, and here he explains how it happened. Look at verse 5. Our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance. As you know, what manner of men we were among you for your own sake. Now, how is the gospel presented? How should missionaries present the gospel? How should you present the gospel here in Sheraton? Here's how it's done. Here's what the missionary did in, in Thessalonica. Here's how it all started. Our gospel. Now, is it our gospel as opposed to the gospel? No. The gospel is unchangeable. But it needs to be your gospel as you transmit it. You're a different transmitter than Brother St. Lawrence. You will have a different way of presenting the same truth. The truth is inalterable. But the communicators are individuals. Now, how much should the individuality, how much of Paul came through to Thessalonica? Look at the, uh, at the verse. Look at the verse. Our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power. Where did Paul, what did he rely on? His ability to speak, his command of language, his intelligence, his formal education. I've had, uh, some of you have asked about the importance of formal education. I think formal education is wonderful. I'm not against formal education. I've had some 26 years of schooling. Uh, I'm not against formal education. Uh, can formal education produce a pastor, an effective communicator of the gospel? No. No. Some have asked about the tension between formal education and local church experience. Which is more important? Both are important. Local church experience, far more than formal education. Call starts here. Call starts here. Where the power that comes from the one who has called, not from the institution of higher education, but from one who has called, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit and Holy Ghost, that's synonymous. This is a, I'm using the King James translation. And Holy Ghost and Holy Spirit are the same. In the uh, original, it's Spirit. They translated it Holy Ghost at that time. That was the way to say it uh, at that time in 1611. Now, formal education can be a tremendous complement to a call that is proven and tested and worked out at the local church level. I want that to be clear. Am I right, Pastor? Amen. Now, please correct me if I'm off base. And you can do so right here publicly, sir. Uh, formal education is wonderful. It may open some doors for you. 
may give you some credibility amongst secular people. But in order to be a missionary church, we start here. Now, I'm talking about a church that was about 18 months old, max. Maybe as little as a year old. The gospel arrived, how? In power. Now, Paul, you'll see he was criticized at times for not having that. So he writes good letters, but uh, his sermon delivery is not what it should be. Some people evaluate preachers by their sermon delivery. And I think that the thing that you need to look for is, is the man of God directed by God in God's church? Or is he speaking out of some authors he's heard in the university classroom and some pop psychology and so many other things that uh, substitute the power and direction of the Holy Ghost in the preaching of God's Word. Because the only way it will come across as God's Word is in the power of the Holy Ghost. That may be an enthusiastic style. That may not be an enthusiastic style. You studied some of the greatest preachers in the world some of them in the American Revival meetings read their sermons in a monotone. And it was with such conviction that people would stand up because he would speak of the destiny of hell fire for some. And people would stand up and cry out, No, I don't want to go to hell! He'd keep on reading. And he'd keep on reading. And at the end there was a great harvest of people. It's not in the delivery. It's in the power of the presence of the Holy Ghost. He's the one that communicates, not from my lips to your ears, but from the heart of God to your heart. He's the one that's doing the communication. And if that communication doesn't take place, then all the words that we speak are just hot air. The power of the Holy Ghost in the presentation of the gospel is what transforms lives. Paul knew it. The church at Thessalonica knew it. They knew that. For our gospel came not in word only, but also in the power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance. Hmm. What a verse. Did Paul believe in assurance? Apparently so. He said, God doesn't fail. When He touches lives, when He saves souls, He doesn't fail. Do I fail? I'm sorry for many of my failures. If you knew some, you might not even have me here. I've had many failures. Many failures. I don't know about you. But if you look at my Christian pedigree, it's not a very pleasant one to look at. It's not very good. But every time my hand has slipped from his, he's reached down. And at times it surprised me as I wallowed in mud. He said, David, 
What's going on? David. David. Looked all around. Forgot to look up. You ever done that? Forgot to look up. Never thought he would be there. One of the sermons I nearly preached tonight is Jesus' love for sinners. Some of us as church members have our halos on so tight we have migraines. We're so goody-good that everybody feels uncomfortable in our presence. Jesus was criticized for being a friend of sinners. I know he was a friend to this sinner. David, Lord, no, Lord, don't look at me here. I'm, this is embarrassing, Lord. What? This is bad. You need to shield yourself. David, want some help? Need a little bit of help? Give me your hand, son. My hand's all full of mud. Give me your hand, I said. Come on. You want out of there? If you don't want out, I'll leave you there. You want out? Yeah, Lord, I need out. Give me your hand, son. Come on. How many times has Jesus rescued you? You have failed. I failed. But there is a gospel of assurance that God doesn't fail. He never fails. He brings to completion that which He has started in you. And He will do it. You can thank God for that. Because He's so faithful. So faithful. The gospel came with much assurance. As you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. Paul had been the example. Missionaries, you've got to be the example. And the times are tough. And it's many times not what you say, it's what you're doing. And when the obstacles come and smack you, you have your assurance in Him who is going to triumph in the end. And you press on. Church does the same thing. Church does the same thing. We press on. And you became followers of us. Oh, what a tremendous task. Paul lived the kind of life that the people in Thessalonica became his followers. That's dangerous. But Paul lived up to it. Now, there is a need for people that know what a sinful life is, that have found the victory in Jesus to go back to people that are dealing with those situations and to help them, just like Jesus helped you. I've said to some, I mentioned it to Dave tonight, a good church needs a good dose of heresy and a lot of sin. And Dave said, that probably requires a little explanation.
I said, yeah, yeah. But if you don't have sinners attending and them feel welcome, how will they hear the gospel? Now, are those the people we're going to have in leadership positions? No, 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 no. Not by a long shot. But do they need to be attending here? Yes. People with all sorts of doctrine need to be attending here. Now, they're going to be teaching Sunday school. No, 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 no. We want people that know God's Word. And, uh, by the way, it's not doctrine. It's God's Word. And does it contain doctrine? Lots of it. Lots of it. But that's what it is. Now, we need to have the sinners here. People from other backgrounds, uh, other religions, other denominations. And we just need to have the assurance of just delivering God's Word. They'll get it. When the power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God come together, people's lives are changed. People's lives are changed. So please, develop a church with a lot of sin and a lot of heresy in it. Keep your leadership, those that know God's Word and are living accordingly in the leadership positions, but love the sinners and go after them. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord. You see, Paul was the follower of the Lord. Follow me, and we'll be followers of the Lord. Having received the Word... What did they receive? They didn't receive Paul's teaching. They received the Word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. The Word came to them in much affliction. It was hard times. It was a difficult situation. They encountered things where God's Word went counter to what they were practicing. Now, that used to be over in foreign countries. And one of your questions was, what's the biggest obstacles you encountered in the communication of the gospel? I can't think of any that you don't encounter right here in Sheraton. Secularism. Pride. Self-sufficiency. Arrogance. All of those things are right here. So, it used to be that we had a... Uh, so-called Christian nation? Not anymore. Not anymore. The example that Paul gave to them uh, as they became followers of Him who followed the Lord, receiving the Word with affliction, but with the joy of the Holy Ghost. Now, we as Baptists aren't very joyful. We're far too serious. Far too serious. Uh, our Bible tells us when someone comes to Christ, there's joy in heaven. And uh, there are some churches that if you clap, that's wrong. Now, clapping is something we do maybe in a song. Maybe twice. We clapped twice, didn't we? I don't know if the third time's bad or not, you know. 
Uh, I don't know where you draw the line. And I don't know whether it's clapping or whatever it is. But man, when somebody comes to Christ, there needs to be not just joy. We've got a better word for it in Spanish. It's called fiesta. It's fiesta time. It's fiesta time. We need to have the joy of the Holy Ghost uh, in our midst. And He is a very expressive God. And there are times when we are ho-hum and miracles are happening in our sight. My, my, my. Are you in tune? Are you in tune? So... This church had the joy of the Holy Ghost in its midst. This church was a joyous church. So that ye were examples to all that believe in Macedonia and in Achaia. They became examples. You see, Paul said, I'm going to be an example to you. And you can do the things that I do. This is discipleship. That's what Jesus did. You know why they called them Christians? Christian, the word Christian is a diminutive. They acted just like he did. They were little Christs. That's what they called them. In Spanish, it would be Cristitos. Yeah. They were little Christs. They, they acted like him. They talked like him. They did like him. Paul did the same thing. He imitated the Lord. And the Thessalonians imitated Paul. And then they became an example to all of Macedonia. Now, Macedonia was that leading area of northern Greece that had conquered the world. Hellenized the world. Everybody at that time spoke Greek. The New Testament was written in Greek. They were the world conquerors. And now, a little old church in Thessalonica, was an example to all of Macedonia. Achaia is southern Greece, where Corinth was. Paul was there, and he was hearing about the things that the Macedonians were doing way up in northern Greece. What a testimony. A local testimony that was reaching other areas of the nation. A testimony that was a new church. And a testimony that was powerful, reaching around. Look at that verse 7. So that you were examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. And for from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to Godward is spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. Paul said... I can retire as far as what's going on here. You guys have taken over the ministry. Don't have any need to speak anymore. Your example. Oh, Grace Baptist Church. Your example in missions needs to be broadcast in this town, throughout the state of Iowa, and around this nation. And around the world. Because their testimony went abroad. Now they were a commerce town on the Ignatian Way and the highway. But word got out. A new church. A church that had a focus outward. Not inward. 
What's the focus of the church? Y'all come? Or are we going to obey what he says? Go ye. Is our focus outward or inward? You see, a missionary church that the missionary planted that brought the gospel to you and I is the church that he wants, that God wants. Look at that verse 8. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord. It sounded out. People heard the word of the Lord from them, from that little old new church way up in Thessalonica. Sounded out not only to the, to, in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith to Godward. Their faith was placed in God. Your faith to Godward is spread abroad so that we need not to speak anything. For they themselves show us what manner of entering, entering in we had unto you. Now this was the way that they had received Paul. When Paul came to them, what sort of reception did they have? He's talking about what manner of entering in we had unto you. How ye turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. You see, this was a missionary church. This was a church that had lived, was brought up with idolatry. Brought up in so many things. We don't have that problem in America, do we? Cable TV, retirement plans, the good old U.S. dollar. You've been watching the recession. You've been worried about your retirement plan. How many idols do we have? They were turned from their idols to serve. Some of you raised your hands. I don't know what your service is. But you'll find new avenues of service. Missionary service. New avenues in church and out of church. Be careful you don't get too many church jobs so you don't have time for your ministry outside the church. That's a tough one, isn't it? Do you hear that? That's a tough one. Because some folks are so heavenly minded they're no earthly good. They're doing everything in church. And they got five jobs in church and they're down at the church all the time and no witness at work, no witness in the public square, no witness somewhere else. Church service is important. But getting the Word out is what Thessalonica did. And it was a blessing for the missionary to write back. And you can hear the joy that he's expressing as he writes back to them and finds out, and he's celebrating the reception that they gave him. The reception was that they turned to God, not to church. They turned to God from idols to serve the living God, both in church and out of church, to serve the living and true God. Truth is obvious there. Needs to be proclaimed. And to wait for his son from heaven. 
Now, is this eschatological? Yeah, you can call it that. But it's faith. Jesus is coming back. It's faith in what God's Word says. You don't have to get all esoteric about eschatology, get all worked up over Bible prophecy. The Bible is pretty clear. Jesus is coming back for you and I. Pretty clear. And they waited how? 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 Wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. I like that word, delivered us. We have been delivered. Now, if you want a, uh, another way of saying that, rescued. You know, we need to find new words to express the same thing. Jesus saves. But if you put that up on red letters on a white background out on the highway, most people aren't going to get the message. Some church put that up there again. Jesus saved. I've heard that 15,000 times. How about the rescuer? Have you been rescued? Were you sinking deep in sin? Did He rescue you? New ways of saying the same thing, of appealing to today's world. He delivered us. He carried us right through. He carried us all the way. He delivered us from the wrath to come. A new church with a worldwide testimony. You are not a mega church, but you have a testimony to Brazil and South Africa and Hawaii and Iowa and Mexico and so many other places. A church that is missionary minded is a biblical church. A church that is missionary practicing is a biblical church. It's the church that God wants. Be that church. Be that church. My call to you tonight is not for individuals. I will pray for individuals. But my call tonight is for you church-wide, church-wide, to commit to being a missionary church. That your focus will be outward. That you will love the lost. That you will reach out. That you will have a testimony that goes abroad. That the power of the gospel will be embedded in you. That we'll turn from some of our idols to celebrate what God is doing in our midst. Pastor, you're the leader. I didn't, know, didn't even tell you about this. I may have sprung one on you. But you're the leader. And I know your heart. And I'm so thankful for you. As you have been missionary. As you have done, led this church. And I know what your response will be. And that's why I want to call you. You're the leader of the church. If this church is to say, we will do missions here, Uruguay, Scotland, anywhere we are. Missions is part of us. That's who we are. That's who we are. 
I'd like to ask you, Pastor, to come and to lead the church in this moment of commitment. Come and stand in the pulpit that God has given you, that you have honored me to loan it to me for this time. Come ahead, sir. Come ahead. And as together we stand here, Pastor is going to lead in prayer for the entire church. Now, if there are those that are here tonight that have a special need for your involvement in missions, and you want those of us that have done missions overseas or here to pray for you specifically, your new involvement in missions, God's opening some doors for you to do missions right here at home in this church. And you need that prayer individually as well. As pastor leads the entire church to a commitment to missions, some of you have felt God's call during this conference. Some of you, in a few short years, may find, your, find yourselves overseas. I don't know. But you have that special commitment. Last night, some of you came forward and knelt here. Others of you raised your hand. This is God's time to talk to you about what you, you are going to do individually. The pastor is going to lead the entire church into a missionary commitment. But I'd like for him to see as well. Has God spoken to you this week? Do you need prayer? Yes, yes, yes. Yes, ma'am. Yes. Do you need prayer? Yes, ma'am. Yes. And I will pray for you. Yes. God's speaking to you. God's speaking to you. Yes, ma'am. God's speaking to you. You will be involved. Yes. 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 New things that are going to happen. God's doing something in our midst. And it's new things that require our openness to Him. Lord, You are the Lord of the church. Let me remember you in prayer. As pastor, lead us as a body. As the body that God's placed you as shepherd over. And address this congregation that God has placed you here to lead. That we will renew our commitment to His task. Not to doing church. To His task. Which incorporates doing church, sure. But it goes far beyond just doing church. God bless you, sir. I'm praying for you as well. Amen. As we bow together in prayer... As Dr. Harms mentioned, if you would like um, one of the missionaries to pray specifically with you, um, we'd ask that you just come to the front. And missionaries, if you'd be here at the front, Sergio and Ben and Brother Harms, maybe you're here tonight and you're just saying, I just want God to know that I'm open to anything He wants. If you'd like, these men would be happy to pray with you. And corporately, as a church body, as we bow together in prayer, make it your, your prayer. I'm not the church. We are the church. Let's go to prayer. Heavenly Father, 
we bow before you as those who have been rescued from sin, the penalty of sin, the bondage of sin, have been rescued from spiritual deadness and have been brought to life. And Lord, we thank you for the changes that you have brought in our life, for bringing us eternal life, and Lord, for entrusting into our hands the gospel. Lord, there is nothing more precious that could have been entrusted to us. And Lord, I pray that You would cause us, first of all, as individuals to realize our awesome responsibility not just to receive the gospel, not just to grow in grace, but Lord, to share the message of your love and to reflect that wherever we go. And Lord, I pray that corporately, as a church body, that we would be committed to being the type of church that you want us to be. Not the type of church we've been or the type of church we think we should be. God, open our eyes and help us to see what you want us to do right here in the communities we live in. What you want us to do to help and be a blessing here and a blessing in this state. Lord, I pray that you would cause us to make a difference in this nation that is so desperately in need. And Lord, we're not saying this because we think we're great and we have something to offer. Lord, we are nothing. But we are mighty through you to the pulling down of strongholds. And God, I pray that you would find in us hearts that would be fully submitted to you. Hearts that are committed, first of all, to loving you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Hearts that then are committed to loving one another in this body. And then hearts that are committed to loving the lost as you love the lost. Lord, you know, you know my heart. You know our hearts. That does not come naturally. And we need the fresh anointing of your Spirit. Daily and moment by moment we need this. And Lord, I pray that our motive would not be to build Grace Baptist Church, but our motive would be to see people love you with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Lord, I pray that then you would help us to be reproduced, as Sergio mentioned earlier, that these extensions of what you're doing here could reach literally around the world and, and be raised up in other extensions. And, and God, 
that you truly would be pleased and that there would be much joy in heaven because of one sinner and two sinners and many sinners coming to repentance. Lord, I pray that we would have a renewed set of priorities here tonight. Lord, you know our hearts. You know uh, how frail we are. We're dust. You know our frame and you know how easy it is for us to get the wrong priorities. Lord, I pray that you would bring us back to that which really matters. That's that which will last beyond this lifetime. That which will matter after we breathe our last breath. Lord, help us to have an eternal perspective. And God, I pray that there would be the working of revival here that would glorify and magnify you and you alone. Purify our motives. Cleanse our hearts. Infuse us with an unwavering determination that none of these things shall move us but that we are fully committed to you and your ways. Lord, thank you for the blessed opportunities we have to serve the King of kings and Lord of lords, to serve the one that that is the champion of champions. We know that you have triumph, and in the end only you will be standing And that you allow us to be on your team and to be a servant of you. Lord, may that blessed hope and confident expectation be our motivation daily. We pray in Jesus' name with thanksgiving. Amen. Let's stand together and turn to 391.